This week on a lively experiment, it's a dead heat in the governor's race with a month to go. And Sabina Matos and Alan Fung say they're too busy to debate their opponents. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with the analysis, Ken Block, founder of Watchdog RI, WPRI Target 12 investigator Tim White, and retired URI political science professor Maureen Moakley. Hello and welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It's great to have you with us. With the home stretch to primary day on the horizon, the latest WPRI Roger Williams University poll shows a neck and neck race between Dan McKee and Nellie Gorbea in the campaign for governor, with Helena folks making up ground rounding the backstretch. That's the headliner of the poll that covered an awful lot of ground. Tim, we have a lot of ground to cover. Um, you've been in this neck deep this week. Any surprises for you? Yeah, the surprise for me is how um, unexcited the voters are for this. I mean, we're talking about 21% in this poll of voters still aren't sure. You have Governor McKee and Secretary of State Gorbea sort of flatlining in the upper 20s. They really haven't moved the needle too much. As you point out, Helena Folks has. She's come up, uh, I would say, eight or nine points from her last poll in May. Makes sense. She's been, she was the first person to be on the air, and there's been a lot of ads. But the campaigns have done really nothing to try and move the needle at all. The other candidates who are running against Governor McKee have allowed him to do a lot of press events as the incumbent governor and do all that, yet Gorbea and folks, the front runners, um, they haven't held any press conferences, they haven't tried to get any earned media. Why? And they, that's a great question that you'll have to ask the campaigns as to why they're doing that. Um, because, you know, they, they're limited in money. We're going to start seeing a lot more of their commercials going into the final weeks of the primary. That's the paid advertising. But why not try and garner some of that free press? They just haven't done it, and that is what has surprised me. A uh, couple of things that I noticed is that they're very close, but as we just pointed out, 42% uh, of the people could change their mind. There's a lot of fluidity in this. The other thing that stung out, stuck out to me is that there's not much of a gender gap. I looked through all those numbers, and there is one with McKee and Gorbea, but if you look down, I'm really delighted because there's so many women running, and in fact, there's not that sharp division that you usually see. Um, the other thing that stood out to me was that uh, McKee has strong support from reliable voters and independent voters. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know you polled the independent voters. Right, independent voters who are uh, likely. likely to vote in a Democratic primary. Right. And yeah. by the way, this is a great poll. I applaud I'll you tell Joe that. Fleming. No, yeah. it really is. Okay. Um, and so those are the kinds of things that, uh, that stuck out to me. It is a close race. But especially, it's up for grabs, particularly between Gorbea and McKee, I would think. As someone who's been in this chair a couple of times, what do you do? It's August. People are going on vacation. And yeah. fortunately, the primary is a little bit after Labor Day. But there's not much time. You know, to answer your question why, uh, uh, for me, uh, and I'm, I may pay attention more than most, there's been a real lack of substance in the campaign, really on the part of just about everybody. Uh, you don't see people standing up. You don't see candidates standing up and saying, I call on blah, 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 or whatever, right? And here's a, a problem. Here's how I'm going to solve it, right? And, and it has to be media enough 
so that the media will come and pay attention, right? And we just, we're not seeing that. And, and, and I wonder, do we not see the press conferences because the candidates just don't have these issues or are they afraid to, my sense is most of the candidates are afraid to take a strong stand on something that might disaffect some group of voters that they're trying to keep you know, in, inside, you know, close to we them, should, right? I mean, we should remind people uh, who forget when Ken ran for governor. Ken was a real policy guy, right? He would issue white papers like it felt like every week. And as a reporter, it was exceptionally yeah, right, right. annoying. Right. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but we covered that, and that's what we're, we're not seeing here. And, and just a final note, we're starting to hear a lot of pressure from people uh, uh, asking Helena folks to drop out of the race and clear the way for Nellie Gorbet. You talked about the gender gap. Both of them did well with women, mm -hmm. um, but they seem to be pulling, you know, from right, each other. Right. Um, now it's, uh, it's on. Yeah, I don't. I have heard nothing of Helena folks dropping out. As a matter of fact, if you talk to her people, they see a path to victory because of the 21 percent undecided And by the way, can I just say? It's outrageous to ask a candidate who's put themselves out there, who's engaged in a campaign, is running a campaign as well as they can, and ask them to drop out, particularly when I don't think folks and Gorbea occupy the same political space. I believe ideologically they're pretty different from each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to drop out oh, just, just because of you're gender, the, the female, right? Oh, right. Um, you know, that's not, a, that's not a good reason to drop out. Yeah, and the other thing, I mean, I really think that we're talking about here is that you're going to start seeing negative ads, I think. I think, mm -hmm. it's, I think people are going to step up that way. But when you look at this, I mean, when I looked at the, the, the data first, I was like, wow, everybody's happy. You know, there's, there's not a lot of uh, pushback in terms of the unfavorability ratings are very low. Consider, considering the key is the governor, 23% unfavorable. Um, so they're playing it safe. They're not, they don't want to step out. It's a close race. They may make a mistake. Uh, you know, in other words, and they don't want to alienate anybody. I think Maureen's and right. We're, right. we're going to see more attack ads yeah. coming, but there is an issue with going negative in a multi-candidate race because if who you, are you shooting at? Well, <laughs> if you go after, let's say, uh, Gorbea or folks goes after Governor McKee, you know, presumed front runner, kind of because makes him, he's incumbent. It legitimizes him as the front runner. Well, right? but uh, what it also does is you, you might hurt McKee, but you might not necessarily help yourself. You could be helping the other candidate. Candidate, the third choice, uh, because just you're knocking down that other person, but it doesn't necessarily mean you will benefit from it, if that makes sense, in a multi-candidate race. Is the undecided apathetic? What, what do you read into that? Tw more than 20% just, are they not paying attention? Does nobody jazz them up? Hmm. So what do you read into that? I, I think that you're seeing the people who are indicating who they want to vote for, those are probably the most partisan voters. For the voters who aren't necessarily partisan or driven ideologically, they're looking for someone who can prove they can lead, and I don't think they're seeing that yet. We'll get to the lieutenant governor shortly, but I said, when I noticed him, 60, what is it, 60% are undecided, and they're clobbering in the treasurer's race. Yeah, 61%. <laughs> it's yeah. unbelievable. Don't, don't sell it short, Jim. I, I've never seen that <laughs> yeah. so high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's our pollster, Joe Fleming, said it's a tight race only because so many people don't know who they, they're going to vote for. What is 13%, 13%? Right. Yeah. It's and then, 17 and 17, 18% between and then James Nielsen and Stephen Fry. Oh, I didn't see uh, yeah. it, it is yeah. just, yeah. you got to let that information out. <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> We'll try you know? There's been an avalanche <laughs> the last the last couple of days. Um, you know the other thing that's so let's just before we finish the governor, we'll move on. What what does each have to do in your mind in the next three weeks? What's the path? It, it, you know for the top three. Yeah, uh, 
I think they have to do a better job defining themselves. I think they have to be clearer about the issues that they care about, and most importantly, specifically what they're going to do about those tough issues. We have, we have persistent problems, and we're not seeing anybody step up to say, I got the answer to that. What do they have to do, Maureen? I think they have to hold on. I mean, in other words, I don't, you know, I understand from, from a sort of politically uh, effective point of view, but when you're talking about politics, I think they have to play it very, very close. I don't think they can come out and make big statements because the race is so close, and particularly for McKee. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got a lot of strong support, and he's, I think he just has to keep coasting. In other words, he's going to have to define, defend himself when it comes to some of the negative ads that are coming out, and that may generate something. But it's not going to be substantive. It's going to be attack ads. It's not going to, no one is going to come up it's unfortunate, but it's true. No one's going to come up and start talking in a forceful way about big issues, about things that have to be done. What, like, besides have, building a time machine and going back in time and changing how they've handled some of their campaigns so far, I think really the debates are going to be very important. Because yeah. one way with the negative attack ads, which I agree they're going to do, to offset what I said earlier is on stage with all of them <coughs> to really separate yourself Mm -hmm. uh, from the candidate and, and make those, I'm attacking you and here's why I'm different and I'm going to be better at this situation, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And your debate is after Labor Day, people are locked in. It's a week in. before the primary. Right, so perfect timing because, yeah. okay, let's really see how they can do under fire and with each other. That's and right, yeah. You want to give a little plug on when that debate's going to be? Uh, it is, I believe, September 6th on believe... Channel 12. <laughs> we have a lot of debates, no, but, but it's a week you... before the primary and the primary's the yeah, but, it's, but the media, it's really good that you're doing this because that's the only way people are going to understand what's going on with these candidates because it's been such a flat or meh 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 yeah, election. Dan, yeah. Well, Dan Riley said that here, and then Dan McGowan said that in his column. Final thing, how much of the, and Ken, you can weigh in on this too, how much of the consultants are driving this? Let's not, let's make sure we don't have an unforced error. Let's not have some press yeah. conference where Tim White or Jim Hummel or Brian Crandall or somebody are going to show up and then that's going to be the headline. I the think it depends day. on the campaign. I think there are certain campaigns that mm -hmm. lean more into consultants. So we've seen the folks campaign has spent a lot of money mm -hmm. on consultants and uh, campaign staffers there. McKee, it's a different calculus because you have both the campaign consultants, but you also have the governor's office. Of course, right now, the campaign's driving it, I would say, at this point um, in the season. So I think it really depends which candidate you're talking about. What do you think? Consultants driving it? I would guess that consultants are probably driving most of it, given how the campaigns have conducted themselves yeah. at this point. All right. The, uh, the other headline, which should not be a headline at all, Sabina Matos and Alan Fung are, are the no-shows on some of these campaigns. Almost as much that that's going to become the headline. Because Sabina Matos, it's just, it, it's, it's laughable that, what is she, like showing up at the, brown, at the Blind Bowlers League in Burraville to, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to shake hands rather than go on a debate? And now we hear, so we'll get to Alan Fung in a second. What about that? Because she's in the lead. But, but not comfortably. 23% is not a lot, okay? Yeah. And the thing is, 51% are not That's sure. Right there. 51% yes. are not and sure. And they might become more sure if they see her duck in the debate. Well, because I, I applaud um, Dan McGowan. I think it's cowardly. Mm -hmm. He said it was cowardly. I mean, it's, it, for Fung, it's a different issue. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they they holding their own. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to be challenged. But Sabina Matos is a smart woman. She's, she was the president of the Providence City Council. She certainly can hold her own. 
Well, she could. What am I missing? And well, she did well in our debate. She I, did, I mean, she did okay. Yeah, she, did okay. she did okay. <laughs> she, I mean, she did okay. I think why she, how she benefited in our debate uh, for those who didn't see it is Cynthia Mendes went after Deborah Giro, and <laughs> and then right, Sabina Matos right. could sit back and just watch the show. Right. Um, so she was able to hold her own. So look, she has done one debate. It is ours, uh, it, and that's great. And we're grateful that she did that. It's a mistake that she's not doing right, other I debates. She should be doing Channel 10s. Right. She should be doing And at what point debates. does this become the governor's issue? Why doesn't somebody say, this is your running it's mate. Why is she See, ducking it? You know, because it's really interesting. To... That's really interesting because the thing is, you're, now you're looking, he was, he's was he been very, look, as a governor, he supported his lieutenant governor. He's taken her everywhere. He's given her all this kind of exposure. And now I'm wondering, should it be like well, we're not running on the same ticket, you know what I mean? Because um, because I, I think it's going to be very interesting, and I applaud the media because Ruggiero and Mendes are going to they're going to get the time anyway. Yes. In other words, she's the not going to be debate. there. Yes. There'll be the empty chair debate. It's a big deal. It's utterly cowardly, and I think that what you're telling the world as a candidate if you uh, skip the debates is that you're not ready for prime time. I remember when you ran in 2010, the four-way race, there, you could give each other's speech by the end. We, we did, joked we about did, that, we, right? We because did, you we, went to so there were many a forums. Lot of debates. Remember there that? There, there yes. were over 40 debates and forums mm -hmm. over the course of the mm -hmm. 2010 campaign. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful because you got to be exposed to a great many people. You were confronted with issues that you don't normally get just in the, the, the big debates that come right before, right? You know, every, every special interest, interest group in the this, in this state offered up a debate or a forum format, and there were always at least four candidates showing up to those, and, and that's the way it should be. You yeah. should be ready to prove how, what you can, you know, you need to be able to show that you can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody and that you can address issues, whatever they might be. If you're going to be the governor. If you're going to be right. the governor. Be honest, did you read all of his white papers or not so much? Did you skim them? <clears throat> Next question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, Al so <laughs> Alan Fung, and he did this, he did this, if you remember, Tim, four years ago, leading up to the primary against Governor Raimondo. He kind of skipped, he didn't really want to do anything four years ago, mm -hmm. um, as you know. Uh, now we find out that he went to Wyoming with Kevin McCarthy. We haven't had you guys on since the McCarthy comes to Rhode Island big state secret thing. Wh what is he doing? Who is advising him? I don't know. I mean, it's a, uh, I, I don't have any visibility into the campaign. I think it was uh, unfortunate, certainly for the campaign. Uh, I do know that given the opportunity to get out there and maybe fundraise and if it coincided with uh, with a particular event like this in this circumstance, candidate has to make a judgment call what they're going to do. And, and I can see where, in the, on balance, it made more sense to go to Wyoming than to maybe participate in a debate that might have small significance in the context of, of the race overall. Um, however, because uh, Allen has skipped debates previously, I think that you know he's paying a higher price for having skipped this one. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I don't think he's skipping it because he doesn't want to right. have the opportunity. Right. I think it was just a question of where he was going to go. Correct. And you know, I think there's going to be a backlash. I mean, the thing about Kevin McCarthy, but the other thing you have to remember in a primary, Trump, Trump improved his standing in a lot of towns. He carried more towns in the sub in the, in 2016, and up around Burville and things like that. There are strong Trump supporters. So on balance. It was a calculation. I, I don't. I don't agree with it. But the fact is, it may have been worth his while. Yeah, we'll see. Look, CD two to Maureen's point is has 
turned a little bit more red uh, throughout the years. Because it, of what they did 10 years ago. Well, you, of yes, course. that's yeah, right. right. With redistricting. And making it better for Cicilline. Yeah. That, that's because correct. Because was considered untouchable. That's right. Um, but it's still blue. And the, the question is, with all the fundraising that Alan Fung has been able to do with the Kevin McCarthy visit and, you know, going out to Wyoming, all of that, getting money into a, his coffers, that's good. But what we don't know is what's the cost of doing that? Mm -hmm. Because what he has done, you know, the, the Democrats, as they're getting through the primary, and it's right now looking like it's Seth Magaziner's to lose, is they're sharpening their knives. And uh, in some ways, Alan Fung is creating the attack ads for them. And they're going to show that picture of Alan Fung and Kevin McCarthy together. Now, there will be some spots in Boroughville and, and where that is that's going to help him. It's going to help him. And, it, and that's, that's good news. But there are going to be some spots where that is going to hurt him. So yeah. Yeah. we'll see if that was the right move or not. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's a, I think it's a tough call in the sense that he's got a base in Cranston. And if you look at some of those towns, and this is a primary, you know, you know, with that, that I mean, not general election. General excuse election, me. yeah. yeah. Um, it's good he didn't he's have a gonna primary. Be, yeah, it's a good he didn't oh, have yes. a primary. But the that thing would is, have shoved him to the right. right. With Bob and he'd have to spend money. Exactly. And he'd have to spend money. But, you know, I mean, Magazine is a great campaign, a good campaigner. But it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be a race. Yeah, I agree. I think you know Democrats are real nervous about uh, CD2, yeah, both locally and nationally. Yeah. Um, and you know, Alan Fung is a household name. He's run uh, for office many times. He was a popular mayor in Cranston, which is in CD2, by the way. So he's going to really try and get out the vote uh, in in Cranston. So you know, the Democrats are sweating it, but they're happy when they see him standing next to Kevin McCarthy. Right. The other issue is uh, Tidewater Landing that's been kind of lurking in the background. The team at Channel 12 has been doing a great job kind of digging into the finances. Ken, I wonder, we can talk about the issue itself just from a political standpoint, and we're looking through that lens. Does this have backsplash on Governor McKee leading into the, in, into the election? Because the poll showed that there's not a lot of public support for yeah. the public subsidy. If the other candidates decide to beat him with it, yes, he'll he'll pay the price with it because and he deserves to because he has essentially crazily, in my opinion, stated that oh, you know, even though the data shows it's not gonna pay for itself and everything else, that doesn't matter. We hope what, it will. What matters right? is that it's important and we have to get it done. And it's not often that you see uh, an elected official, let alone a governor, indicate that He's going to ignore the data and the overall finances of a particular project and instead call it essentially a critical statewide project. And I don't buy that because it's a soccer stadium. It's in Pawtucket, right? It is a local issue to Pawtucket, but how does that soccer sta uh, stadium benefit anybody you know, outside of maybe the, the core urban area? It doesn't. So I'm puzzled by it. The cost is huge. The payoff is likely not there. And Governor McKee has basically said, I don't care, we're doing it. And I, I think he's put himself at risk for having done that. Well, I agree with what you said about the, the, the substance of the thing. But when you talk about the politics, one of the things I was struck by is, first of all, <clears throat> the difference, 9% in oppose or not oppose. That's not a lot when you think about, when you say public financing, like people just automatically say no go. So I was struck by that. And the other thing I was struck by is he's not running away from this. In other words, he, he, he gives some real 
people came up to him and he's he pushes back and he makes this argument i'm not i'm talking about the politics now i'm not mm -hmm. talking about the thing and he's standing up to it he's going to get hit with ads i'm sure and matt brown went after him in the wpro debate right. tried to hammer him yeah. and he just said he just kind of brushed him off yeah but he but he answered a bit, he didn't duck you know in right, other words right, right. that kind of thing so we'll see well he can't duck yeah, I mean, no, he's he, not going to he be able to duck now. He cast the tie-breaking vote right. in, as, in his position as head of the <clears> Commerce <throat> Board. And so it's hard to duck when there's a binary choice that he made mm -hmm. and, and, and went for it. And, and Maureen's right, 9% in the Channel 12 Roger Williams polls and a huge gap between support and oppose. But I think what's telling to me is the 19% aren't sure, and that is the opportunity that the other That's candidates have to, to move the needle on that. Mm -hmm. And to answer your question that you went to Ken, they are already attacking Governor McKee on that. Maybe not in paid TV. We'll see. I, I think that's around the corner, especially mm -hmm. when you I see do. a poll like this go, okay, we can Those ads that. have to be made now, though, to get them out next This they're, is true. They're on the chalkboard. Yeah, that's right. You've got to write and produce them very quickly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. as you as you said, that, that I think we're going to hear in the debates this is going to be a big mm -hmm. uh, point mm -hmm. to come after Governor McKee. And the thing is, and I, it really helps Gorbea. In other words, I really think that you know, since they're so close, any edge like if that, mm. that really takes a hit. I mean, it's good news for her. Uh, the other thing you wanted to talk about was unemployment insurance. Oh, yeah. oh, uh, wow. And Tim's done some great reporting on this. So you set the table for yeah. what you're... I'm dying for a candidate to do something like this. The Rhode Island Department of Labor and Training pumped out many hundreds of millions, probably over a billion dollars in unemployment insurance claims uh, during COVID. And I asked the Department of Labor and Training... How, so the, you pay for that two ways. You pay for it with federal funds, which I'm not, I don't really care about so much. And then you also pay for it with what they call the Rhode Island Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, which is funded by a payroll tax on Rhode Island businesses. The trust fund was drained of $270 million during COVID, right? So Rhode Island businesses are on the hook to repay $270 million that were spent paying out unemployment insurance benefits because of COVID. Now... The state put $100 million back in. They just did that in the last budget. So Rhode Island businesses are on the hook for $170 million. Comes to, out of your pocket. To repay, right, out of every business owner's pocket. The problem is the unemployment insurance system across the board in Rhode Island admits that there was $100 million stolen and likely another half a billion dollars stolen on top of that. So why should Rhode Island businesses be on the hook to repay $170 million that they had no control over and that probably, for the most part, the state let fly out of these funds without the right controls in place. Any hope of ever getting that back? No. I mean, look, we have seen uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Rhode Island. They're going after these cases. They're prosecuting them. I think Ken makes a good point. This is low-hanging fruit for a candidate to go, to go yeah. after. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. even if they can't do much from a policy perspective, it's something that they can hang their hat on from a small uh, business perspective. But a lot of these bad guys are probably overseas yeah. in they Nigeria. They did say a lot of the money was overseas. And it's going to be very <clears throat> difficult. Look, the state lowered its guardrails to get money out quickly to people who needed it. And the head of the DLT has admitted that. But now it's looking like the guardrails were lowered. Yeah, but Tim, they also, so I and all of us got the uh, claim, the false claim. Yeah. Yeah. They sent me a letter with my full Social Security number yeah. on really? it. Really? Mm -hmm. And not just the last four digits. And you know what else they did? 
Somebody stuffed the envelope with another woman in my envelope that had her full social security wow. number. Yeah. So the DLT said, yeah, we need to upgrade our computers. And they did that. You, you think? Uh, so they, did, they changed their system, but obviously after all the fraud had taken place. Right. And Ken's right, it is a... It's the tip of the iceberg in terms of how much mm -hmm. fraud actually took place. It is astounding. Just right. quickly, you know, your so, thoughts on that? Uh, my, own, my thought on that is that, you know, I understand that there was this rush to get the, get the money out, all right? And it's particularly since there was a delay with Health and Human Services earlier, and they were excoriated for that. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, they were trying to get this money out. And, you know, as soon as they said they were doing this, I was like, there's going to be fraud. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea how the depth. Last 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah. <clears throat> what? Speaker Sikarchi and Senate President Ruggiero and Governor McKee should do is they should take federal funds to repay the $170 million. That should not be on the backs of Rhode Island businesses to repay. All right. Agreed. Outrage and or kudo, try to keep them brief. Okay, I'll keep it brief. One kudo, I have kudos. Uh, one kudo is we have electric buses now. RIPTA has finally started to put them in place. It's a really big deal. We need to get more mass transit, and this is a step in the right direction. One other quick kudo. I have a kudo for my panel, my fellow panelists here and all the work he's done on shore access and rights of way. It's terrific. I hope you keep doing it. It's Thank a you. real service. Yeah. I would echo that. Tim, what do you have? More and more police departments are uh, getting body-worn cameras, um, and what we're learning in the news world is as we're requesting the video, police departments are charging exorbitant fees to obtain um, uh, the body-worn cameras. And we have seen uh, agencies use high retrieval and research fees as a chilling effect on getting this information. We paid for the, taxpayers paid for the body-worn cameras. Taxpayers pay the salaries of the people that wear them, and taxpayers pay for the salaries of the people that retrieve and redact, which is the primary cost. Don't charge us again for them. Wasn't there also an issue, we talked about this when Providence got them, about uh, releasing it and, and the, the extent they're going to release it in a timely fashion and all of that. Is that getting worked out department by department? Great question. No. It is being worked out on the state level. The AG's office is promulgating um, Open Records Act, policy. For, for, Look, essentially, right? There's no question police body-worn camera video is a public record and it should be released as such. So the question is, is something considered under investigation? All of that is being hammered out right now in a policy. All right. It's the block. You actually get a minute and a half. Your, your, uh, oh. your colleagues oh, were uh, short. I skidded so. this one down. But, uh, <laughs> Don't abuse it. So uh, on the WPRO uh, uh, mayoral debate for Providence that uh, happened this past week, I was very surprised to hear every single candidate support the idea of a pension obligation bond for the city. Uh, pension obligation bonds, just, just to, to briefly bring everybody up to speed on them, you're essentially borrowing money to invest in the stock market to fill the gaping hole that is the liabilities that Providence has uh, in, their, in their pension system. And every single mayoral candidate said that they believe that the pension obligation bond was an important tool for them to address the problem. And most finance experts will tell you it is a crazily risky maneuver uh, and that you shouldn't do it, especially now when the money is so expensive to borrow. I wonder, so, yeah. I wonder if they're even going to, the next mayor is going to actually even borrow it, though. Because I mean, the rates are so high. Right, right. so right. there's a ceiling of 4.9% uh, that the city can't borrow. It's, you know, it's And Springfield into, pulled back on it, right? Did they? they were, I didn't they, know yeah, that. They but as, as, you know, as Ken said, the, 
the interest rates are rising because the Feds are raising the interest rates. I, I'm curious if they're even going to pull the trigger yeah. on, on but, that one. You know, but you're great to point it who's out. Who's broadcasting the message that I am financially careful? None of them are doing that. Mm. They're throwing caution to the wind and saying, yeah, I'd love a half a billion dollars that I could take to the stock market casino. Right. He got it in and he even gave Tim a little bit of his time. That's a nice cooperative. Uh, folks, uh, we are heading into the home stretch of the uh, primary day. Uh, a lot's going to happen in the next week. We hope you come back and join us next week. Tim and Maureen and Ken, always great to have you. Great half hour. Tim, we look forward to that debate right after Labor Day. Thank Kim's going to go home right now and start getting the questions ready. So, <laughs> uh, folks, come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.